there a doctor in the house? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Doctor. 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 And doctor. It's time for Advanced Medicine Monday with Dr. Rashid Batar. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. I'm a doctor, not a coal miner. The doctor is in. Dr. Batar is with us for some advanced medicine. And, and, and Dr. Batar, the good news we start with is that we're definitely going to win the GMO battle now because Chuck Norris is on our side. <laughs> That's not a bad person to have on our side, right, if you're going to get in the fight. Yeah, right, right. The GMOs are headed back to planet Monsanto. Uh, they just you know, they couldn't put up with Chuck, so that's good. Anyway, we'll get into that story. You know, but we, we've sent you a number of things we want to talk about, including a question of the day on fibromyalgia we'll get to. Uh, but we've been covering so many of these medical kidnap cases, and it's so confusing because the diseases that these children are coming in with are so bizarre that the doctors in these hospitals don't even know what they are when they say mitochondrial disease and any number of neurological this and that. And then parents are at a loss. They're asking questions. They're asking for second, third opinions. And we've discussed this. Suddenly now they're becoming criminals and CPS is coming in to take the children away. They're going under state custody, locked away in hospitals. And all of this is created by an absence of, of, of real healing, and in really much of what they're suffering with is caused by that very profession that they're being locked away f- uh, with. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's preposterous. It's just um, one absurdity on top of another one, but I'm sorry, Robert. I, I saw, and I mean, rather, I heard you make a couple of statements there, but you said you had a question, and I didn't hear what the question was, so either I missed it or I was sleeping. But if you're just asking for what the hell's going on, I couldn't tell you, because it's just, <laughs> I mean, you know, they say that truth is stranger than fiction, and this is almost the plot of a horror movie or something you think of. Well, it, well, it is, and Super Don's been digging deep in this, and we just covered in the in the first part of the story about a case of Isaiah Ryder, who who has, uh, you know, a lot of pain issues in the hospital. Uh, you know, they're, they're fighting, the mother's fighting to get back uh, her, her son, and and then one of the former uh, uh, DCFS investigators up there in Illinois uh, went on and attacked her on Facebook. I mean, it's just like, it's bizarre the behavior of these people in government that they're acting like little drunk teenagers. Well, you know, part of this also comes down to what is the incentive for these governmental agencies and or employees? Someone would question the motivation behind their actions. So, you know, when you look, start looking at these organizations, you sometimes see productivity uh, bonuses that are given or incentives that are provided. The more cases that they close or the more X, Y, and Z that they accomplish, mm-hmm. the, you know, bigger either remuneration or a bonus or a vacation or a promotion or something. And so it almost creates this zealousness, and we have to ask ourselves, is there something like that? Of course, we're not privy to what they're doing behind the scenes, but as my old lab partner said once, the machine is going to keep on crunching out uh, people that are guilty. And as soon as you have nobody that's guilty, then in order for the machine to, uh, to enable itself to be sustainable, it has to create its fodder. So it creates criminals. So mm-hmm. if there are no parents that are abusing children, which I'm not saying that they're not, I'm sure that there's always going to be a, a reason to have child protection services. But 
if there aren't any children that need protection, then in order for them to continue to exist and to um, justify their existence, they must provide some excuse. And so they're going to create the situation where they're going to create children that need their supposed protection, and so they're going to right. go after children where parents haven't vaccinated or whatever the case may be. So it may even be a case of trying to sustain their viability and to justify their existence they're creating this fodder. Well, and we, we have covered the conflicts, economic and other of interest, that are coming in, flowing in. If you Obviously, if you have more foster kids, the foster system gets more money. The families get more money. And even more so, if those kids are put on drugs like Riddle and psychiatric medications, there's also more money flowing in. So there is an incentive, of course, not only to get more kids into the system, but get more kids on drugs, similar to the, you know, the uh, American Heart Association and their promotion in the 20th century, of uh, chelation therapy as quackery because it would have eliminated totally pretty much the need for what they call open-heart bypass surgery in the 20th century. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great analogy. In fact, uh, I think that that's probably applicable to many conditions. We could probably apply that same concept to chemo and radiation uh, if there was a, uh, a justifiable reason to em- emphasize immunotherapy and look at some of the more uh, innovative ways of dealing with cancer, for example, allowing the body to identify the cancers being formed, uh, utilizing substances that are going to inhibit the matrix metalloproteinase inhibitors to prevent the metastasis of disease. There's so many other natural, better, uh, integrative, and some very innovative advanced techniques to deal with cancer that would essentially just eradicate the need for chemo and radiation. In fact, I don't believe there is a need for radiation or chemo. In fact, I believe that radiation and chemo that kills people, not the cancer itself. But again, that's a different subject, and I won't jump on that. No, it's actually a, it's a, it's a good subject that you bring up, because one of the stories I wanted to cover with you is this uh, story. Matt Cantor uh, wrote it for uh, one of the news services. It's up on Fox News. We have it linked up. Uh, by 2050, 2050, cancer will hardly kill anyone under 80 according to researchers. And I think you explained exactly why. Because the very treatment being used to eradicate cancer is actually the thing that's killing them. Right. And, and I think that's another interesting story, a different angle. You know, four, maybe five shows ago, we talked about the increase in radiation levels and mm-hmm. the effects of Fukushima and some of the other things that were going on, unbeknownst to the vast majority of the population. But the statistics from the American Cancer Society and the National Cancer Institute showing that two out of every three males, I'm sorry, one out of every three females and one out of every two males will have cancer by the year 2000. Well, actually, this was, uh, I take that back. So that data was about 10 years old that they said that that's what the current statistics of cancer were. But there was a, wasn't it the MIT uh, professor that had made a, uh, a prediction about autism that there was going to be one out of every two children that was going to have yeah, autism. Yeah, by, by 2025, in fact, yes. Right. Uh, 50% right. of similar, all children. Yeah. Right, there was a similar prediction about cancer. And in fact, since Fukushima, if you take the one out of every two men and one out of every three women that was that, that currently gets cancer sometime in their lifetime, and this is data that goes back you know, 10 years, if you now extrapolate that and you look at Fukushima, that by the year 2050 or 2040, even possibly 2030, every man, woman, and child in the United States and uh, Canada and Mexico and North America will end up having some form of cancer sometime in their life. So that's completely the opposite of what this study is showing or this uh, article is showing. 
Right, I mean, but, of course, but, I hope that they're right and we're wrong. So. Sure, of course. But then again, uh, I'm not holding my breath on it because they still think that t- taking a daily aspirin is going to be the single most important thing you can do to reduce cancer. <laughs> An aspirin a day. I mean, this is incredible. Well, actually, Robert, you know that's a that's an interesting topic in itself, and I think we really need to, in my opinion at least, I think we really need to spend some time on this particular mechanism of cancer. I think it's very, very intriguing. Now, mm-hmm. you and I may disagree on on the on the, um, or you and I may agree actually on on the commonality of not using aspirin necessarily, but. Why are they making that statement about prevention of cancer? That's an interesting, very interesting, actually, reason for us to spend more time on the subject. And I'll tell you, because mm-hmm. I believe the reason that they made that statement is because of the ability to improve vascular supply. In other words, remember we've talked about cancer being a stagnation issue. So right. I think if you can de-aggregate the blood, and I think that's where this aspirin aspect comes in, because the aspirin makes the... Um, the blood cells are more flexible, and they actually allows for better flow because viscosity is reduced. So that's the reason they're talking about the aspirin. Now, of course, we know that there's inhibits prostaglandins, and there's, hmm. there's other you know negative components in there. But we well, it's, it's like Doctor Batar, it's like the whole vaccination thing. It, it, we're not opposed to uh, antibody production. But it's the way they go about doing it that's so devastating. It's the same thing. If you think aspirin's the only way you can achieve what they're trying to achieve, they're out of their mind. But, of course, it's profitable, although aspirin's not so profitable because it's no longer under patent protection. And the other part of this article, as you go further down, they, they end with this. Recent research has suggested that it's just bad luck that plays a huge role, maybe the biggest role in whether you get cancer. So how are you going to believe anybody that, because, oh, it's only if you're unlucky. Well, that's a very good point, it's, and you, we know obviously it has nothing to do with luck or being unlucky. But mm-hmm. you know, it does it does bring up the point: why did they make the statement about aspirin? And I honestly think that we need to spend. I think we should have to spend a whole show on this, at least the entire next segment talking about this. This is very, very important. Sure. The reason I believe this is very important is because the mechanism that they are suggesting, either indirectly or directly, as the single most important factor in reducing the incidence of cancer mm-hmm. and the, associating that with aspirin is a very, very big hint for us as a general public and something that I have long believed, and you and I have talked about in the show before, that it is a stagnation of the lymphatics. Right. That's a second circulatory system. That's really the reason that they're saying this. And, and the reason I'm so excited about this is because this is exactly that webinar that we're going to be doing about. Remember we talked mm-hmm. about doing this webinar. Yep. This is one reason that I believe that this is going to be one of the most important uh, advances in the medical sciences in the last 30 or 40 years, what we've just come up with and that we're already seeing clinical results, because it's, it's doing exactly what they're hoping to do with aspirin, but it's doing it more effectively, it's measurable, and it's well-established. The basic underlying mechanism that we're using is well-established in medical science already, and it doesn't involve taking anything by mouth or, or anything like that. It's it's actually really incredible. But the stagnation of mm-hmm. the lymphatics is the key to cancer. If we can get everything flowing better, if you can get to the cells and provide better nutrition to the cells better in a more effective manner, and if you can take waste product out of the cells and get it out of the system in a better manner and make that more effective, you essentially decrease the ability of the body to become susceptible to cancer. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. We'll talk more about that, in fact, in the next segment. As you said, I will... 
Uh, and it's, it's just incredible the many tools that we do have. Also, I'm looking forward to having a banner with a link so we can get all the Robert Scott Bell Show listeners plugged into the upcoming webinar. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Let's get Josh on it so we can get that going and let everybody know by next week at the latest if we can. All right, robertscottbell.com is the link. If you miss any of the advanced medicine shows with Dr. Rasha Bittar, one of the easiest places to go on the web is medicalrewind.com. All of these are linked up in the show notes, including the international bestseller, The Nine Steps to Keep the Doctor Away. Preventing cancer, we've got the answers after this break. Live around the world, the Robert Scott Bell Show. Robert Scott Bell. Taking on bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. All right, wherever you are on planet Earth, empowering you with the health and healing that is rightfully yours. Thanks to Dr. Bittar, Advanced Medicine. And we were just talking about the this, you know, study said by 2050, uh, cancer will kill hardly anyone under 80. And they're saying, oh, because of the aspirin. I'm thinking, you know, I know of a lot of deleterious impact to aspirin. Can we do better? Can we do what they want to do with aspirin, but with natural substances, with hydration, with different things? And that's where I turn it over to you, Dr. Bittar, because I know if you have one, you have 100 things that are better. Well, Robert, I mean, this is a question that you've got a lot of uh, weapons in your arsenal in the homeopathic arena, mm-hmm. and I don't know homeopathics uh, to a fraction of what you do, but we know um, a lot of homeopathics that we use. As you know, we know we have a lot of homeopathics that we use intravenously and yes. uh, in other ways, too, and this is more what I've been taught or what I've had created for me by people that know this science much better than I do. But uh, putting that stuff aside, things that are readily available to anybody, anywhere, um, you said hydration. Well, hydration is probably the easiest and the most effective way of an individual uh, improving flow. In fact, in general surgery and trauma surgery, we used to use a slogan, the the solution to pollution is dilution. Mm -hmm. And so if you hydrate yourself, that's going to be a very big benefit anyway. Um, but sometimes it's just the hydration won't necessarily cause the red blood cells to declump, if you will, if that's a way you can say it. Yes. Essentially, these cells will aggregate and they clump, and they, by clumping and by reducing the amount of uh, surface contact that they have with the, the serum as it's circulating through the blood, the red blood cells, does the smaller the surface area, uh, because they're adhering to each other, the less functionality that they'll have, meaning that if you have these red blood cells individually moving forward versus clumping together and and moving forward all clumped together, they're going to be less efficient at doing their job, which is carrying oxygen to the cell, carrying nutrients to the cells, and carrying waste products away from the cells. So it makes better sense for them to be declumped, not aggregated, and flowing individually with less uh, resistance, etc., so hydration is a good thing, but the hydration won't necessarily, it'll reduce the viscosity of the blood, but it's not necessarily going to cause the red blood cells to declump. It may to a certain extent. So now we can start looking at natural anticoagulants, if you will. So natural anticoagulants would be ginger, for example. It's uh, very effective uh, taking your own pinky and looking at the 
amount of area that the small nail, the fifth digit, covers, taking a slice of ginger that big, chopping it up, mincing it up, boiling it, getting some uh, hot water and boiling that hot water, putting that ginger in there, almost making like a little ginger tea, drinking that tea, and then taking the pulp, the remaining pulp, and eating the pulp. That is a very effective natural anticoagulant. Um, in fact, um, it, it, to me, if you look at the uh, the published research, it quite extensively talks about the use of ginger, and ginger is just a very natural, effective anticoagulant. So, again, are we talking about anticoagulation, or are we talking about deaggregation of the red blood cells? Well, they're not synonymous. It's a little bit different, but still improves vascular supply. It improves flow, and that's what we want. It decreases viscosity. Mm -hmm. It allows the cells to be more efficient. Um, And aspirin is essentially, that's one of the reasons they're talking about it, because aspirin will end up helping the blood to flow better. I think anything that will allow for better flow to reduce viscosity, to increase perfusion, to increase the oxygen carrying capacity, to increase the ability of the body to be uh, cleaned by the cells being able to efficiently do their job of detoxing, detoxifying and eliminating waste. All these things are what we really want the body to be able to do. And the subject of our webinar will be talking about a way to actually do that using a, a technique uh, that is not nutraceutical in nature. It's actually the, it's using three different combinations of technology that have been all independently verified, published, well-documented, and many different products out there, but in use for pain and other types of uh, conditions, and combining these three in a very, very unique manner and allowing the sustained exposure to a certain part of the anatomy. Um, it's just effective. I don't want to get into, into too much detail because uh, sure. we know that there are friends of ours that are listening that may not be desirable friends. Right, right. Well, we'll we'll get everybody again. I know everybody says, well, when are you going to do it? When are you going to show us? When are you going to tell us? It'll be there. We promise. We're going to get it up on there. It'll be linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. We'll talk about it on the air as well as soon as we have access to it because I know know you're anxious to plug in, as am I. Uh, Ways to do it without harming yourself. All right, we've got some uh, questions about Tamiflu. I call it scammy flu that's out there. Confusion as well as fibromyalgia after this break. Who'd you say that masked man was? It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Robert Scott Bell. Here I come to save the day. on a medical propaganda. Here's Robert. All right, each week we do some advanced medicine with Dr. Rasha Bittar. He's available at drbittar.com. And, of course, we've got links to the nine steps to keep the doctor away. Also, a number of videos that you'd be very interested if you haven't already gotten a hold of. We've got access to them as well. And we're talking about a webinar that will be upcoming. I'm getting some more insight into it. It's very exciting uh, what is developing behind the scenes. And as soon as it's ready, we'll reveal it. Now, Dr. Bittar, uh, the uh the stories that we're hearing in the mainstream media, I know our listeners are not so confused, but maybe they need to explain stuff to their friends or family, right? That, that all of this stuff about the flu shot not working or only working in 23% of the cases, I mean, they don't know if it works or not each year that they claim it works, just if it matches the antibodies, but that doesn't mean you don't get sick. 
So now I see them promoting Tamiflu for everything now because they say, well, the flu shot doesn't work. We've got Tamiflu. And the only thing that was shown to do in the peer-reviewed literature was that it would reduce potentially duration from like seven days to six and a half days. Basically, yeah, maybe. Not, yeah, that's exactly right. It's not like uh, something that's going to eliminate it right away. And it also has to be taken at a very specific time. It has to be taken within the first 24 hours of the symptoms coming on. Otherwise, it's really not going to have any effect. And here's the interesting thing. Let me tell you the best part about Tamiflu, okay? Mm-hmm. Tamiflu was developed, um, I don't know, maybe remember who the manufacturer is, but the researcher behind Tamiflu is actually an Australian. And you will have to excuse me, but I don't remember the name of the researcher. But I will tell you this, that that researcher uh, had a video that he put out when H1N1 started becoming the big fear-mongering word. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that put out the H1N1, the video, if you recall, Robert, that I included in my video, right. which talked about the H1N1 having the components of swine flu, of uh, the avian flu, and of human flu. But the interesting aspect of it was that it crossed the Eurasian uh, strain of, of swine flu, and the America strain of swine flu had never been crossed. And he showed on a diagram how, using an electron microscope, how the two viruses were almost, I mean, it's like a straight slice. It's almost like they've been grafted onto each other. Mm -hmm. And he's explaining this, and that this is a Eurasian strain, this is the America strain, they've never crossed before, and then here you have the the H1N1, and you're looking at the swine flu component of it, and then he just kind of hesitates, and he doesn't say anything, and you can tell that he's trying to figure out how to say it, and he says, this cannot naturally occur. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was engineered. Of course, we've covered stories over the years here, uh, admissions that uh, institutions like CDC were analyzing and purposely experimenting to see if they could make more virulent, dangerous strains of influenza. I mean, they admitted yeah. it. And so if this guy is saying this is not possible without that occurring, you begin to see their nefarious plans and plots behind the scenes here. And I think even the, the, the in front of the scenes, the promotion of flu shots, the promotion of the Tamiflus are also nefarious plots. They're just right out in the open. You know, it's so funny. While you were just saying that, I had one of those deja vu moments, and I, my, the question in my head was, wait a second, are we live or are we here right now? We are definitely live, my friend. Yeah, so, you know, it's actually kind of sometimes remember to keep the brake on when we're live, right? Not sure, to, well, yeah. I don't take all, I don't take all my break off. I mean, no, you know, no, I mean, not I, all. You know, I, I don't always keep my foot on the accelerator all the way either. We we have to because not maybe maybe some people couldn't handle everything we have to. It reminds me of that movie, right? You want the truth, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> exactly. Well, our audience is pretty good about that, but I know there's certain things that uh, we don't want to get pulled off the air, uh, and we want to keep going here to bring the power to heal back where it belongs with each and every one of you. So, uh, Tammy Flew, you're taking lots of it, right, Doctor Batar? Oh yeah, absolutely. By by, just the bucket loads. No, you know, the <laughs> one thing that you can do. In fact, they've even they've even got a Disney Channel uh, commercial that they talk about the flu and if you get a cold and how to prevent it. And guess what they say? The most effective thing to prevent flu and prevent cold and prevent all this stuff. Guess what they say? Uh, sneeze into Elmo's elbow. I mean, you know, obviously we're 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 not talking about Sesame Street here. We're talking about Disney, but. Okay. Close. They say, wash your hand with soapy, warm water. And that is very sound advice. 
Yeah, they actually do something good there. I'm, th- I'm thankful they're not promoting to the little kids all the toxic stuff. Uh, uh, sometimes they do. Uh, so anyway, yes, homeopathic medicines for flu. Our friend Dr. King has that. Of course, we've talked silver. We've talked immune modulators and things. Uh, but suffice it to say, the marketing campaign is not going to work here on the Robert Scott Bell Show audience. You're too smart, and you know that the natural way to modulate immunity, strengthen immunity, uh, is going to protect you. Even if you should succumb, you'll get over it by helping your body to detoxify, stay hydrated. The people that get into trouble, are they have congested pathways of elimination. Again, like the lymphatic stasis we talked about, the liver, the kidneys, all of that we want to support. Now, if you don't mind, Dr. Robert, Pitar, before, before, go ahead. Before we go, Robert, let me just say one other thing. Sure. If you start feeling the little raspiness in your throat, like upper respiratory infection starting, your pharyngitis starting, you might think you're coming down with the flu. You may think you're coming down with a common cold. It doesn't matter. Common cold and the flu, to me, really the difference between the two is nothing except that how strong your immune system is or how weak your immune mm-hmm. system is. So right, right. The things that you want to do besides washing your hands to prevent, prevention is the key. Remember, these are going to be disseminated through inanimate contact with, uh, with doorknobs and you know that type of thing, pushing a shopping cart, whatever. Yeah. Wash your hands frequently. But the other thing is vitamin C, echinacea, uh, silver, whether it's hydrosol or whether it's mm-hmm. oil or whatever, spray it. Put it in a nebulizer. Dilute it half and half with water if you have to. Uh, or sometimes even we, we'll combine it, sometimes combine it with uh, one part hydrogen peroxide, one part silver, and two parts water, and nebulize it. And mm-hmm. I'm telling you, it, it, these are the best ways of getting rid of any, any of that. So vitamin C, <laughs> echinacea. And silver, and then of course we have some other things, some homeopathic that we use, um, some mm-hmm. um, uh, herbal tinctures that we use, and you know, unfortunately, that's only available to our patients. But the point is that, and this we use those three, those three things: the silver, the echinacea, the vitamin C, and we'll wash your hands and hydrate yourself. Ninety percent of everything you're, that you're going to yeah. have contact with, you're going to eliminate. You're good to go. And remember, a lot of the the seat of the immunity is in the gut, and make sure you've got good probiotic colonies that live there, the good ones that are supposed to be there. Um, let's see. This is a question of the day, and, and it's directed towards you as well. Uh, hey, Robert, good morning. I guess they're from Australia, maybe. They say good morning. Uh, I have a friend with fibromyalgia. What would you or Dr. Batar do to recover her from this? She says she has a lot of pain all of the time, but at different places in her body. It seems to be random. I don't know much about this disease, but I did direct her to get uh, Dr. King's advanced arnica for the pain. By the way, arnica is mostly for injury pain. It doesn't work as well for, for uh, fibromyalgia. It's, it's fine to take it, but it's not really going to be indicated as much as if, if it's not an injury. Uh, she said she has type 1 diabetes also, so she's now taking a GTF chromium as well. Can you guide me to help her relieve her symptoms, if not cure her altogether? Thank you so much for giving truthful and useful, truly useful, useful information. It's because of you that I have not had to take my family to the so-called doctors with degrees. <laughs> LOL, love you, man, Mark D. Well, what a cool guy. You know he's a longtime listener if he if he quoted my degree. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Actually, we've answered this question before on the air, uh, and we can we can answer it again. I mean, the very, very first thing, anybody with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue, the first thing that I look at, it's synonymous with, you know, um, somebody sneezes, you say, bless you. It's one of, like one of those things. It's just a very, very basic thing. And that is removal of heavy metals. I mean, fibromyalgia, right. remove heavy metals, they just get better. I mean, it's really that simple. Uh, yeah, I have I, not I, come across with a case, Dr. Batar, that that is not the truth. Absolutely. Yeah. That there's a metal burden, particularly mercury, but other metals that are mis- yeah. displacing, if you will, the minerals as well as depleting them on top of having their own deleterious and inflammatory hey, I'm impact. I'm going to sign up here since you've got this covered, okay? I'm just going to sign up. <laughs> you know what? What, what? what am I going to do? You're a good teacher. <laughs> Go, hey, you know what? Mark D., if you haven't gotten the nine steps to keep the doctor away, it's all in there. But honestly, how many doctors, 
Does the CDC recommend this? For instance, when they finally acknowledged fibromyalgia is real, did they focus at all on detoxifying mercury and heavy metals? Not at all. Not, Not at all. For a and, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. So the heavy metals is the key, but actually this also goes back to something else that must be addressed, which you just said in the segment previously, and that is looking at the gut. You have to look at the gut as well, because here's the thing. Even though exactly what you said, Robert, that is the truth, the heavy metals have to be removed, and they cause a displacement of the essential minerals, so then they have a relative mineral deficiency. And you have to do those things. That is the basic. You must do that. But you also must look at the gut and look at the terrain there because everything starts at the gut. So you need to, even though the gut may not have been the spark that caused the fire, the fire resulted in the forest burning down, and the gut, it may be the place where that napalm was laid down, so all the mm-hmm. forest is burned down. So it may not have been the spark, that caused the fire, but the fire caused the forest to burn down. Now we have to replenish the forest by replanting the seeds and allowing that uh, that that forest to grow back. So you have mm-hmm. to deal with the gut and, and rebalance the gut. But the first and foremost, if you try to rebalance the gut without addressing the heavy metals with the persistent organic pollutants, as in the military, they should tell us, you're just pissing in the wind. You're, you're just going to, mm-hmm. can we say that? I don't know if you can say that. Yeah, you, you said it, and you said it well, and it's accurate. In, in other words, you're, you're not achieving your goal. You, you know, you think you're doing something right, but if you don't restore integrity to the gut, you can't regrow the healthy colonies that are supposed to live there. I always try to say about, you know, taking a polar bear out of the Arctic Circle, putting him in the Gobi Desert. He's not going to survive very long there. And the point is right. restoring the terrain, restoring the terrain. It's everything, and including that with fibromyalgia, we see that. The heavy metal burden, the intestinal imbalance, and we've got to detoxify these people. Absolutely. Whatever we said for fibromyalgia, you can also apply it almost 100% to chronic fatigue. They're, they're really... Mm-hmm. The only difference between chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia is the fibromyalgia patients, they have symptomatic pain, whereas chronic fatigue, they have symptomatic fatigue. It's not so much the Exhaustion. Pain. Exhaustion, yeah. that's it. But and they do have and they do have a lot of GI uh, uh, imbalances that are overt. They typically will tell you, yeah, I have a lot of d- digestive problems. And even the few that said that they don't have an issue, it's because they have had it so long, they think it's normal to go to the bathroom once every two days. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they all have it. Is whether they perceive it or not, that may be a different issue. But they all have a GI issue. Yeah, and also uh, last hour I mentioned lupus as well. Same thing. We would apply any yep. of these autoimmune conditions. RA as well. Our our good friend Dr. Daniel Newsom says hello to you, Dr. Batar. Uh, he okay, was uh, he's a good guy. We connected with him out at the uh, ACAM convention for the first time. What a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Great, great. Hi, Jim too. And he's a big into the martial arts as well, which I know you appreciate. And that, and also, that's why we're so happy Chuck Norris is on our side on the GMO issue. Yeah, I, actually, we didn't really cover that too much, but uh, I, what, I guess he publicly made a statement, or what? Did he actually march against them, or did he kick somebody in the head, or what? Well, we're going to get back. We'll, we'll revisit that since we didn't go further into Chuck Norris. Also, the bizarre story of the day, it relates to GMO, and it relates to cattle, and it relates to human DNA, and it relates to Ebola. How have I set the stage? You're all intrigued and interested now, aren't you? I know I am. It's the bizarre story of the day coming up to wrap it up, and if we need to, Chuck Norris will kick its butt too. All right, robertscottbell.com, drbatar.com as well. All the links are up in the show notes. The Robert Scott Bell Show. In all my years of radio, I've never seen anything like this. The Robert Scott Bell Show.
bureaucrats and corporations that would stand in the way of health freedom. Here's Robert. And kicking a little aspirin today. Now, we had to talk about aspirin as well. <laughs> Dr. Bittar, of course. Uh, Chuck Norris uh, editorializing in World Net Daily uh, about his concern for glyphosate and GMOs. I mean, if we had more people on that level, because, you know, let's say Chuck, uh, you know, world champion in, in, in martial arts, movie star and such, starts speaking out about these things like GMOs, it would certainly go a long way because these are people that tend to influence a lot of thought. I'm glad he's coming out and speaking his concerns on this. Yeah, absolutely. So am I. I think uh, you should be commended for that because I think that there's it's necessary for more and more people to be aware of how significant of an impact this is going to have on the next 10, 15 years of human development and our future generations. And a lot of people don't recognize that. And they hear the GMO issue. But even like in, the, in Russia, they just signed a law uh, last week. I think I sent you that story. Maybe I didn't. But mm-hmm. we should have probably talked about it. He signed a law last week, I believe it was, where GMOs must be divulged, and it was a pretty stiff penalty if a company has food substances that are not disclosed that have GMO ingredients in there. Yeah, Even that's right. right. Yeah, and in Costa Rica, just now we learned that uh, they've declared unconstitutional the process by which they've approved GMOs in Costa Rica. So there's some things that are, are, are winning on the side of the good here and the good food that we'd like to retain here for our future generations, much less what we're eating now. Uh, you know, as well as uh, the GMO story goes to this one. This is the most bizarre of the day that we could find, thanks to Super Don. Listen to this headline Genetically modified cattle with human DNA might hold Ebola cure. Yeah. <clears throat> so. I'll just let you take this one, and I'll sit back in the comfy chair and relax and be entertained. <laughs> On a farm outside of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, a herd of cloned, genetically engineered cattle are busy incubating antibodies against the Ebola virus. This is so wrong in so many ways. Uh, not the least of which is that, you know, we've argued, along with my good friend John Rappaport, have asked questions about this whole Ebola scenario. Is it just one virus, right? They keep saying that they've isolated just one virus, and it's dependent. Their ability to produce antibodies, produce vaccines, and profit off of this disease depends on your willingness to believe it's just one thing instead of the abject destruction of the environment, the nutritional deficiencies, the starvation, the lack of good, clean water, sanitation, hygiene, etc. that's playing itself out around the world, particularly in West Africa where they've isolated this or claim to have isolated it. Have I said it right? Absolutely, absolutely. So rather than me to add, I'm sitting back here. Uh, yeah, I, I figured, but but you're not going to rush out and get some genetically modified cattle with human DNA for your farm, are you? I don't think so. I think that if there's any rush for anything, if Ebola is the concern, it's going to be for ozonation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, we already know how to address those things, and of course it. It's it, the beautiful thing here to remind everybody, it's applying the same principles across the board. You might do them in unique ways for specific reasons, specific protocols that will help you go through it in the right way, but the same basic concepts apply. And, you know, that's why all the medical degrees in the world somehow out-train you from common sense. And so all these doctors are all chasing the wrong thing. In the meantime, the pharmaceutical industrial pro- uh, complex gets more, uh, let's say, profitable and we get weaker as a species, e- eating GMO food, for instance. Yeah, this is, a, this is a perfect time for me to actually bring in my message of empowerment for the day, Robert. So I know we didn't talk about doing this, but I will tell you that all the monotheistic religions and probably some of the Far Eastern religions, even those religions, probably have some component of the same message, but there's some 
commonality in the message that they the Creator did not put any pathology, any disease on this planet without its cure also here. So for those that are going to get worried about some pathology, some disease, something that somebody's telling you that you should be afraid of, remember that the Creator also provided the solution to it. It's up to us now to look for that solution. And the sad thing is that most of these pathogens, most of these pathologies, most of these disease processes, we as a human species created them ourselves. We created the imbalance that caused them to take effect. And we certainly have the ability to first understand and then negate those changes so that we can now benefit our own body. So don't Beautifully said. become a victim to the susceptibility of, oh my God, I can get this or that and get this. Don't right. allow that to happen because that's not the power to heal. That's not, that's not what you're doing then. Beautifully said. And to honor MLK Day, a right delayed is a right denied. That was from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, of course, we want to defend the rights of the parents everywhere to raise their children cleanly, as uh, free of drugs as possible. Dr. Batard, thank you, my friend. Advanced Medicine, awesome once again. Thank you, Robert. Thank you very much. The power to heal. You know it. It's yours. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show.